Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 74. And today I'd like to talk about play. How play is important not only for children, but for adults as well. I want to start with sharing a difficult day. Last week, I got up on Thursday morning and I felt very out of sorts. I didn't have my usual enthusiasm for the day. I didn't look ahead and think, wow, what am I going to do today? I can't wait to dive into something, to start creating, start working, start doing things with my girls. No, I was irritable and bad-tempered. My girls could see there was something wrong straight away. I wasn't my usual self. I didn't really know how to get myself out of this irritable mood, how to get myself back on track. I sat there for a long time just doing nothing, just thinking about how miserable I felt that day, and I didn't really know why. And then Imogen, who is my 21-year-old daughter, she said, Come on, Mum. I'm going to take you out to lunch. Get ready. And I said to her, well, I don't think I'll be very good company today. Perhaps you should just let me sit here and stew. And she said, no, Mum, I want to take you out to lunch. Go and get ready. So that's what she did. We got in the car. She drove me down to the local shopping centre. We found a cafe and we had lunch together. And while we were sitting there, I said to her, I'm feeling much better. Thank you so much for helping me for getting me out of my bad mood. I think sometimes when people around us are irritable or upset or even unkind, the first thing we do is think how unfair it is. We haven't done anything to deserve that treatment. Why is that person behaving so badly around us? And then when somebody comes along and doesn't blame us for that bad mood, but tries to help us out of it like Imogen did. It really is a lifesaver. Somebody's stretching their hand out and saying, hey, it's okay. We all have bad moods. We all have days when things don't feel right. I want to put it right for you. I'm going to help you. Instead of condemning us, they want to help. I guess our kids learn to do that if we do the same for them. My daughter, Sophie, who's 15, and I were talking about that a few podcasts ago, about how sometimes children wake up and they feel like they're having a bad day. And that's quite all right. What they need is some empathy, some space. They don't need a mother to say, hey, pull up your socks and get on with life. There's nothing wrong with you. And sometimes it's just a little bit of empathy, I think, that we do need. We don't need anybody to do anything else. Just to show that they care, they understand that we're having a difficult time. And that's quite okay. So my difficult day actually turned into a nice day halfway through. I really enjoyed sitting in the cafe with my young adult daughter. And I had a good chance to chat with her. I said to her, it's been a long time since I sat and just chatted with somebody about things that are going on in my life. I don't meet up with friends very often. I guess my 21-year-old daughter has become my friend. I feel I can talk to her about things. And as we were talking, she said to me, Mom, I think I know what your problem is. You're doing too much. 
you're not taking time to enjoy other things, things apart from unschooling and blogging and podcasting and video making, all the things that I do associated with unschooling. She said, Mom, you bought a book about drawing faces a week or so ago. She said, you ought to get it out, do some art, read some books, do some things just for yourself. And I think she's right, because even though I do really enjoy my unschooling life with my girls and sharing my unschooling life via the internet with other people, sharing thoughts and ideas and suggestions, there are times when I do want to do something else. And just recently I've been thinking, perhaps it's time to move on again. I've said everything I can possibly say. I haven't got anything more to share. It's time to do something different with my life, take up a new challenge. And that happens periodically. I've learned to recognize that it's probably only a phase, just the way I'm feeling on a particular day or maybe even a particular week, but that I do still have things that I want to share and unschooling really is one of my great passions and I don't want really to put it aside and to stop working on it. I've just returned to this podcast after a knock at the door, so I don't know where I was before I left. Very exciting moment, a courier just arrived on our doorstep with a new camera for Sophie. And if you've been following our story, and you will know that Sophie is a passionate photographer, and this is a big moment in her day, well, a big moment in her year, a new camera. The camera is sitting on the kitchen table, and it hasn't been opened yet. Imogen is doing some writing with Sophie and Gemma Rose. They're having their weekly writing circle meeting. And I'm sitting here recording this podcast. So we've all decided that we will open the parcel when we've all finished what we're doing. Anticipate it a bit longer. I just have to remember what I was talking about. Was I telling you how just recently I felt a bit overwhelmed by everything I've been doing and unschooling and unschooling associated things hasn't actually felt very exciting or very enjoyable recently. And I thought the answer was to move on, which it isn't. But Imogen reminded me that I haven't been doing any other things. I haven't been playing. And this is where I get onto the topic of play. Several weeks ago, I ordered a book called Beautiful Faces by Jane Davenport. It's an art book, How to Draw and Paint Faces, Beautiful Faces. I was really struck by the book online when I saw it, and I thought, oh, I'd really love to draw some faces. I can't really draw at all, but I yearned to do it anyway. So I ordered the book, and it arrived in the mail, and it sat around on the table for a week or so. It's really quite a lovely looking book, so I got a lot of pleasure just from turning the pages and looking at the artworks inside. But after Imogen and I had our lunch together last week, I decided that I would actually do some art. Got together some supplies, my pencils, some paper, I got the book out, and I started experimenting, playing around. Before I knew it, I was saying things like, hey girls, look at my face. And I felt really satisfied by what I was producing. Not because my faces are very good, though they do look like faces, but I did better than I ever imagined as I was drawing. I also started reading a few library books, not books about education or blogging or how to earn money from an online business, but just novels, books for fun. 
Then after playing for a while, I thought to myself, I'm really enjoying playing. I don't really want to go back online and start working again. This is much more fun. Perhaps I could just help the girls with their learning and spend the rest of my time playing, doing things that I enjoy doing. I get tired of trying to think of things to write, things to podcast about. I thought, take the pressure off. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm just going to draw. Maybe get my sewing out, knit things for Gemma Rose. I've got a cape that I've been knitting her for an awfully long time and it hasn't got finished yet. That's what I should be doing, I thought. A bit of a self-centered life, maybe. And this is the conclusion I came to after a few days of playing. That play is great and it has its place, but I need to work as well. And so ideas for blog posts and podcasts suddenly started to come back. And I started to feel excited again about the thought of sharing unschooling with people. I got back online after several days of avoiding the internet. I caught up with a few emails. I posted something on my Facebook page. I thought about blog posts I could write. I actually wrote one for my Raw Files blog. And the excitement for doing this has returned. And it's what I want to do. But it made me realize that we all need to make time for play. We can't just work and work and work, regardless of how much we enjoy our work. Because I regard sharing unschooling and doing my novel writing and all that sort of thing as my work. But when that's all I have in my life, I lose my spark. I suddenly find I can't write. I need play as well. Times when I can just experiment. I don't have to have a certain outcome. I don't have to produce anything that looks good because I'm not going to share it. Nobody's going to judge it. It's just free, flexible play. Let my imagination go wild. Try out a few new skills. Things I'm not particularly good at, but it doesn't really matter, because this is just playing. I'm not trying to earn my living as an artist, for example. So what does it matter what my faces look like? As long as I'm having fun drawing them, and they're giving me a sense of satisfaction. I found an article online about adult play. It seems like I'm not the only person who needs to play and isn't. Most adults don't play. Play is seen as a childish thing to do. It doesn't have a very good image as far as adults go. But adults do need to play. Playing is not a luxury. As I found out, play can lead to some wonderful things. Play doesn't have to have any particular goal. We just do it because we want to, because it's fun. But it aids our creative thinking. It stimulates our imaginations. It releases stress. And wonderful things come out of playing. As I have found, it's put a spark back into my life. It's given me new ideas. Yes, play is very valuable. The article I was reading described how there are adult ball pits, for example, adult preschools, things that are meant for children, but which have been set up for adults. And I'm not sure that I want to go to a ball pit and wallow in the balls like a child. I don't really think I want to go to an adult preschool and relive those sort of days. I mean, my children haven't gone to preschool anyway. But I get the idea. Adults like to mess around with paint and glue 
do things that kids are allowed to do. The article mentioned colouring books, and I've discovered those. I do like to sit down with a colouring book and a few pencils, experiment with how I'm putting the colour on the page. I think the popularity of adult colouring books at the moment does show a need for adult play. We all have that need, even though we might not realise it. After I posted that article, or the link to that article, on my Stories of an Unschooling Family Facebook page, a friend left a comment about how we can get out of the habit of playing. And if we are out of the habit of playing as adults, then when we do such things as play board games with our children, our minds wander. We don't take pure joy in the game. And I understand this because my mind always wanders when I play board games. And even when I watch movies with my children, I'm always thinking about the work that I want to do or the work I'm involved with. What am I going to do next when the movie's finished? What could I be doing instead of playing this board game? And that really is the wrong attitude. Play should be all about focusing on the task at hand, on the game at hand, on the movie that we're watching. Work shouldn't really be invading our play. My next thought led from adult play to child play. How can we justify ourselves playing if we're not happy with our children playing? We have to see play as a priority, see it as something valuable. Because, of course, play always gets pushed to the bottom of the pile. We work first, we play later. But usually, there is so much work to do that we never actually get to play. No, it's not a priority. I think a lot of parents have trouble seeing play as valuable even for children. It's okay when children are very little. That's what children are meant to do. We buy loads of toys for them. This is what they're supposed to do at their stage of life. Then they turn five or six and they go to school or start to be homeschooled and play is pushed aside. It's time for more serious things. We want our children to learn certain things like maths and how to read. We're not quite so happy about letting them play all day if that's what they want. And perhaps if we are willing to let them play, we still have a little worry at the back of our minds. Is what our children doing really valuable? Are they learning? Should we direct them to more structured learning experiences? Perhaps they should do a few of the more important things first and then play afterwards. I say more important things. They're not really more important things but maybe society thinks they are. Perhaps a child ought to do some reading first, manipulate a few numbers, do these types of things before they're allowed to go off and play. I'm reading a book at the moment by Peter Gray, Free to Learn. and I haven't read it all yet, so I can't tell you much about it. But in the early chapter or two, he talks about how school has changed over the years. He went to school, I think, in the 50s. And children were allowed to roam free. They went off to play, and their parents were quite happy not to see them from one end of the day to the other. Nobody worried about them. That's what they were allowed to do. And even when they were at school, there was plenty of free time to play. Long recesses, long lunch breaks, school hours were shorter, holidays were longer. Even when I went to school, I can remember playing at lunchtime and recess 
and having a fantastic time. The kids in my husband's school aren't allowed to do the same sort of things that I did at school. They're not allowed to run around and play tag in case anybody falls over. I guess it's a matter of insurance. We never had much homework. We had long hours after school to go out and play with friends. I see kids arriving home on the school bus in our village around about 4, 4.30 in the afternoon with their big bags and I'm sure they're going to spend the next few hours doing homework and it's really very sad that kids don't have much time for play. And Peter Gray was saying that this has led to stressed kids, especially teenagers. It must be so hard to be a teenager these days, get up early to go to school, come back late, do all the homework. Where is the time for play? And I suppose a lot of people think that teenagers don't need play, just like adults. But they do. And if teenagers need play, certainly younger children need it. So what does play do? Maybe it's a chance to let off steam. It relieves stress, especially physical play. It helps develop imaginations, creative thinking. I think kids act out things around them, things they've heard about, situations. They try to make sense of everything by exploring ideas and situations, by playing it out. And sometimes it can be a safe way to explore ideas which might be a little bit scary. Now Peter Gray says that play has to be voluntary. Kids choose to play. It's not something that's controlled by parents. It has to be flexible, with no hard and fast rules. There might be rules to play, but kids make them up and they might change them as the game goes along. It's not team sports because that is governed by set rules which never change. Play has to be fun. It has to be enjoyable. And the sort of play that Peter Graves says is the most important is the play that happens when parents aren't around. He says that children need to explore play away from the influence of their parents. So it's quite okay to let kids go outside and play for hours on end, not feel guilty about it, not to have to get involved, because that's what kids need. Of course, there doesn't have to be an outcome from play, as I discussed earlier with my own playing. But this doesn't mean that nothing comes from play, because kids do learn, adults learn, ideas come from play. I think we'd be very surprised if we could see everything that comes out of our children playing. In my last podcast, episode 73, I was talking to my daughter Imogen and she was telling me about how a play was important to her, how it helped her creative thinking. All those games she used to play when she was younger have influenced her music, her writing, things that she is passionate about today. So we don't really know where play will lead our children. She also said that children don't play in the same way forever. She's not still outside playing Little House on the Prairie with her siblings. Children discover interests and passions through their play. They might start to follow those interests and passions in a different way. They might want to come inside and read books and explore websites, make things. Their play might actually start to look like what most people would think of as education. So maybe play gives children the opportunity to discover interests and passions, try things out, see if they want to go further with them. 
my children had lots and lots of opportunities for free play. And looking back and listening to my daughter Imogen tell me about her memories makes me really glad that I was able to relax and let them play. Imogen shared a few memories last week, but she's always sharing memories of her play. It comes up in conversation over and over again. She obviously has some fantastic memories of playing, and they have really influenced her life. She'll say things like, Do you remember that baby bath we had, Mum? Do you remember how we used to all climb inside it, and we had sticks, and we used to try and push it along the ground? It was our boat. Yes, we had a baby bath, but we never used it for the baby. I used to bath the baby in the laundry sink. The baby bath lived outside. It was a plaything, a prop for imaginative play. It was the girls' pirate ship. Other days it was something else, but the pirate ship story comes up a lot in conversation. Another story Imogen tells is the tricycle story. We were given a second-hand tricycle. It was one of those with a little seat at the back, designed for two people. Quite a big tricycle. Well, all the kids used to pile on top of it. Not just two, I don't know how many at the time. At least four, maybe even five. And they used to position the tricycle at the top of the hill in the garden. And then one child would push from the back, one child would pedal. And the tricycle with all the kids on top would hurtle down the hill to the bottom. They'd all screech and scream, collect themselves at the bottom, pick the bike up, carry it to the top of the hill again, and do it all over again. I suppose it was a bit of a risky game. What if somebody fell off? The tricycle certainly wasn't designed for five children. And I think that's another problem with play, that parents don't allow their kids to take any risks anymore. They can't climb trees just in case they fall other things like that. And this is reflected in playgrounds. I'm sure everybody has noticed how unadventurous public playgrounds have become in recent years. It's hardly worth going on them. The slippery dips are so low, the climbing frames are low as well. There isn't anything fun about them anymore. There's no thrills and spills. A kid can't be daring. And I think children do have to be daring. They have to feel like they're taking a bit of a risk, have to test their boundaries, become adventurous. Because if they don't, they'll grow up to be people who choose the safe path. They'll be too afraid to do anything. And how many children actually do have an accident when they're climbing trees or doing something similar? I suppose they do, and I do have a son who broke his toe and broke his arm, and another one who cracked his head open. And we were up and down to the hospital with various injuries, but they survived. I'm sure that those injuries were well worth it. All the injuries healed, and broken bones aren't inevitable. Some of my children didn't break bones. They had scratches and bruises. They heal as well. And what they're left with is fantastic memories. Imogen was telling me about the cubby houses that she and the other kids used to make under the trees in our back garden. We didn't have much of a garden. We rented the house, and before I actually went out to look at the house, when I was at the real estate agents, I asked, does the house have a garden? And the lady in the office said, oh no, it doesn't have a garden. 
And I said, well, we have to have a garden because we've got lots of children. And she said, well, it has a yard. She made a distinction between an area of ground with no flower beds, but just trees and wild grass and a garden, which was more cultivated. At first I thought that she meant that it didn't have any land around it, but no, there was plenty of land around this particular house. I think we had about a third of an acre, but it backed on to paddocks of cows, and we didn't have any other neighbours. The kids could make as much noise as they wanted. There weren't any flower beds to worry about. They could ride their bikes round and round the house. And there was a row of pine trees. And that's where the kids used to make their cubby houses from bits of wood and other things they found around the yard. And the story goes that the girls made a cubby house one afternoon. They thought it was fantastic. Big brother Callum came home and he looked at it and he said, I could make that better for you. I have another idea. I bet I could make a better cubby house than that. And so the girls reluctantly stood back and let him have a go. And then Imogen likes to tell the story that when Callum finished rebuilding the cubby house, it looked exactly as it had when the girls made it. He hadn't improved it at all, but it was great fun. And this makes me think that kids don't need such grand things as parent-made cubby houses. I always wanted to buy my kids a wooden cubby house. Every time I used to drive to town, I could see this cubby house on the side of the road in a sales yard. And I used to think, I wish I could buy that cubby house for my kids. But really, I'm glad I never did. Because if I had, they wouldn't have had so much fun building their own cubby house under the pine trees. That sort of play, I think, is far more valuable. And I suppose we as parents do buy a lot of toys, which we think are wonderful, but which children aren't really interested in or which they don't need. So what would I buy my kids? Well, I think the things they loved the most were dress-up clothes, and I'm not talking about ones that I bought in the shop, but old cast-off clothes, things that nobody wanted to wear anymore, old glass frames, high heel shoes, coats, that type of thing, adult clothes that adults no longer wanted to wear. They also liked things like plasticine and Play-Doh. We used to make our own. Paper and pencils. I remember all the kids playing imagination games with a piece of paper and a pencil each. Two children used to sit side by side and they used to take turns adding to a picture. One child would draw something and then say something about the story out loud, such as, And then the princess came out of the castle. And she saw a dragon. And then the child would draw the dragon. And then the next child would add to the story and draw something else on the piece of paper. And the paper never used to end up as a beautiful picture because there was always too much on it. And that wasn't the point. The point was it was just illustrating what was in their heads, taking turns, making up a story and seeing it in front of them. As I said, my kids liked their tricycle. They all had bikes something that kids can't make. And then they used to just use things from the garden, like stones and bits of wood. They used to like making bows and arrows, and so they would go to the garage and look for extra bits like string. Nothing was very expensive. I did buy a lot of expensive toys. I bought Gemma Rose a lot of the expensive Lego sets, the Friends stuff, the pink kits. I thought being a girl that that would really capture her imagination. 
and she hardly played with any of it. I suppose she could have pulled all the sets apart, thrown it all into a bucket, and had a lot more fun, but she wasn't interested in the coffee shops and the tree houses and all the little girls as it was presented in the boxes. A waste of money, I think. So I've been sharing some of the memories of the games that my children played growing up. And my heart feels really warm whenever one of my children shares a story like those ones. Play has made a tremendous difference in their lives, has given them a lot of pleasure. It has led to other learning experiences. I think it has turned them into creative people. But even if it hadn't turned them into creative people, even if there was no learning whatsoever, I would do it all over again just because of the joy. Just because when my children tell me the stories about playing, their eyes light up and I can see the love there. They had a wonderful childhood. And isn't that what we want to give our children? We want them to grow up and to look back at their childhoods and say, hey, I really enjoyed being a child. It was wonderful. Because sometimes I think we sacrifice our kids' childhoods for their future. We make them do things that we feel will benefit them as adults. When really, they're really tiny. As Imogen said last week, we put pressures on our children far too early. Children are going to school earlier and earlier. They're going to a lot of external classes. They're having lots of homework. They're going to a lot of organized activities. Even spending holidays at camps and other things, filling up their time with what we believe are valuable activities. And why? So that they become well-educated people, so that they are able to get a good job, a good career, when they become adults. Well, before they become adults, they've got to enjoy being children. Even though some parents are reluctant to give their children enough free play time, they do recognize that children do well when they play, that children enjoy playing. And maybe play is a way to get their cooperation when learning other things. Yes, they can see that children thrive on play. And so what a lot of parents do is they try and make more formal educational learning experiences playful. Make them fun. Turn learning into play. And I have a real problem with this. We see it a lot with maths. Our children, we want our children to learn maths. So we want to make it fun. So our children want to do it. We disguise maths as a game. We might make a board game that will teach our children how to multiply. And we hope our kids will find it fun. And the reason I don't like this very much is because I feel that learning ought to be appreciated for its own sake. We should love learning. We shouldn't have to disguise learning. Peter Gray, as I mentioned, said that children need lots of time away from adults to explore play on their own, to do things their own way, to be out of the control of adults. But I also think that there are times when we can play with our kids, that children do enjoy having mum and dad play with them, and maybe if we do take time to play, do the things that we enjoy, we'll be happier and more inclined to play with our children. Because sometimes I think we don't really want to play with our children all the time. We can't get into the spirit of the game. We always have our minds on other things. But maybe we should become more daring, adventurous, fun parents, willing to give things a go, 
not to stand on the sidelines and watch children play when we've been given an invitation to join in. Because sometimes I say, you go ahead and play that board game. I'm busy doing this. You can come and tell me about it later on. But really, I should put down what I'm doing and go to the table and play with my children because I know they would enjoy that very much. They always love watching movies more if I'm willing to watch them with them. Maybe we need to remember what it's like to be a child and to do childish things. Take walks in the rain and not worry about whether our hair's getting wet whether it's going to be stuck to our heads by the time we get home again, whether we're going to look terrible, because that's something that I've battled with. I can't do this activity, I can't do that, because it'll affect my appearance. I don't want to look like a drowned rat when I come back from a walk. And when we do things like that, we miss out on a lot of fun. I'm sure I've talked about this before. Adults tend to stand back and they're too afraid to look foolish or make mistakes especially when other people are around. But when we get together with our kids and don't worry about what other people think and just get in there and have some fun and play and laugh and do things that they enjoy doing, it really does benefit us, benefit our children, strengthen family bonds. So have you done any playing recently? Do you play regularly? I wonder what you like doing. Do you make play a priority? Do your children see you playing? And do you value their playing? Sometimes I share with my children memories of my own days of playing as a child. They really love to hear about those days. And I do too. I think back about the mud pies I used to make and the stews. I was very fortunate because my parents didn't mind me making a mess in the garden near the tap at the back of the house. I could dig out the clay and make mud pies, make bowls, do anything I liked. Before I finish this podcast, I just want to talk a little bit about Facebook. If you've been listening to my recent podcasts, you will know that I republished my Stories of an Unschooling Family Facebook page maybe two weeks ago. And since then, I've had quite a few new followers like my page, which has been really wonderful. I've been posting links to various articles and books, photographs, all kinds of things that I hope people will find helpful. All things to do with unschooling. I only have one problem, and this is that Facebook isn't putting some of my posts into many people's feeds, which is rather disappointing. My heart sank the other day. I posted a link to a book that I thought people might like to know about. And I think that post reached only eight people. And when I saw that figure, I remembered why I'd left my Facebook page, why I stopped posting on it last time. It gets very frustrating. Putting lots and lots of work into finding things that I could share with my unschooling friends. And then Facebook doesn't put them into anybody's feeds. Nobody sees them. I've been doing a little bit of research about how to get things into people's feeds. And it seems that Facebook likes photos. They like videos that are actually uploaded to Facebook. They don't really like links. And so I've been thinking, should I post more photos, more videos? But the problem is that I don't want to post things that Facebook likes. 
I want to post things that unschoolers will like. I don't want to tailor my content around Facebook, but around people who have liked my page. But what's the point if they never see it? Yes, it's a frustrating situation. The only thing I can think of is that if you are really interested in my page and all the things that I might put on it, and I hope that there are helpful and interesting things, that maybe you could come and visit my page on a regular basis. You could change the settings so that you're notified every time I post something. Or if that's too much, you could ask for my posts to be shown first in your feed when you log on to Facebook. Now, I don't say this so that everybody will come along to my page and I'll have a very popular page because I know there are a lot of businesses out there who use Facebook and they're trying to tailor their posts so that Facebook will put their posts in people's feeds so that people will come back to their page and they will benefit from it as a business. And I'm not really interested in popularity. I just want to help people share things that I have found and that maybe other people would like to see as well. So if you haven't already come along to my Facebook page, please do come along and take a look. Perhaps you could stop by and say hello. I'd like that. I'd also like to invite you to come over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I will put the show notes to this podcast on my blog. You've probably heard this many times before. You can follow this podcast through iTunes or Podbean but I also embed the podcast on my blog. If you'd like to write a review for this podcast, please do. That would be wonderful. And if you enjoy my podcasts, it would be wonderful if you could share the links so that we can spread the word about unschooling. So I think that's all I want to say today. I just want to thank you for listening to this episode. I want to encourage you to go out there and play. Play with your kids. Let them play. Go and do something that you really enjoy for yourself. So until next time, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. <laughs>